0: Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. We fixed it. We fixed it all. That's it. Jay's Talk Plus served its purpose. Two days. The Blue Jays are better. Uh, If you missed it at the start of the week or late last week, this is Jay's Talk Plus season two. We are in the 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. slot on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. If this is normally your Blair and Barker time, uh, A... Stick around with us because this is a Jay show as well. Uh, B. Blair and Barker, you can find five to seven on Sportsnet five ninety The Fan and Sportsnet three sixty, as well as in the Blair and Barker podcast feed for the regular episodes, and then of course their Jays talk post game. Uh, the same place you find these podcasts in the Blue Jays talk podcast feed. Uh, Blair and Barker five to six thirty tonight because the Jays continue their series against the Tampa Bay Rays at six forty. It'll be Yusei Kikuchi against Shane McClanahan. It's a tough matchup a tough opponent. It's a tough place to play historically for the Blue Jays. And they've been struggling until last night. 20 to one, not a typo, not misspeaking Toronto Blue Jays 20 to zero. The Tampa Bay Rays one. It was the fourth most runs in franchise history for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's the second most hits in franchise history with 27 you have to go all the way back to last July when they scored about 400 runs on the Boston Red Sox uh, for the last time the Jays had an outburst like that. And the only time they've had more hits in a game uh, than last night was that game against the Red Sox. Now, there are some caveats there. Tampa Bay kind of waved. Not kind of. They they waved that white flag. They were down 10 to 1 after the fifth inning. Eighth inning rolls around there. Look. Hey, save it for another day. Let's keep the bullpen as fresh as possible. Let's turn it over to Luke Rayleigh. Luke Rayleigh is not a pitcher. He is a position player. He throws an e but he doesn't throw it in a way that can get major league hitters uh, out. So he moved from first base over to pitcher. It did not go well. They tried to get two innings out of him. Uh, It got so bad that Christian Betancourt, who is also not a pitcher, came in and tried to finish the Jays off. So this was a blowout and a get right game and a feel good exhale game regardless. Because again, the Jays were up 10 to one after the fifth inning that had happened against real pitchers. They got to Taj Bradley for four runs over the first four innings. Um, Taj Bradley, a little bit of an up and down start to his 2023, but this is the jewel of the, the Rays farm system, at least on the pitching side. It's a good, Good piece of work to get to him early and get to him a couple times over the first four innings. They got a run in the first, run in the third, two in the fourth. They kept kind of chipping away around his strikeouts. Then he turned over to Zach Birdie, who also not the, the greatest of starts to his major league career. He's bounced around a little bit, formerly a, a well-thought-of prospect. But they get to him in a major way as well. So the Jays did put up 10 runs. They put up a lot of hits before things got turned over to the position players, Luke Grayley and Christian Pettencourt. Um, what that did, though, was allow the Jays to tack on 10 more runs across the 8th and the 9th, uh, tack on 11 more hits, 3 more home runs, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr., at one point in this game, broke a record for the hardest hit ball off of a pitch that came in at 68 miles an hour under. Now, I, I specify that because... You know the general thinking is, well, velo in, velo out. If it's coming in hard, you can hit it out hard. If it's coming in slow and loopy, it can be a little hard to drive. Certainly, it can be easier to hit, but to hit it 113, 112 miles an hour is a little tough. It was the hardest hit ball in the stack cast era, so that goes back to 2015. Off a pitch, 69 miles an hour slower. A couple batters later, Matt Chapman shatters that record uh, with one of his own. The net result here is that All 11 Blue Jays who played got a hit. Alejandro Kirk was the only Toronto Blue Jay who did not get into the game. Uh, Nathan Lucas, Kevin Biggio and Ernie Clement, not Otto Lopez. They made that switch before the game. We'll talk to Shy Dabiti about that in a bit. Um, Those guys all came in in the final innings. Uh, when the game was out of hand, and they all managed to get a hit. So 11 guys get a hit. A bunch of the Jays regulars get three, four hits. George Bringer had four. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield, Danny Jansen all had three. Vlad gets to pad his stats a little bit with six RBI, including that late-inning grand slam off of Luke Rayleigh. Given what the Jays had done recently, 11 of the last 12 games scoring five runs or fewer, dropping seven of eight all to division opponents, it's only one game but that has to let that clubhouse exhale a little bit and have a little bit of fun during a two-week stretch that hasn't been all that fun. Let's find out if it was like that, if it did feel like that in the clubhouse after the game. Uh, Shy Devidi of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca joins us now from down in Tampa. Shy, how are you doing? All right, Blake, how are you? I am excellent. Uh, before we get into the Jays stuff, I have it on good authority. You did some jet skiing yesterday. How did you enjoy it?
1: was uh terrific you it is confirmed that i did go of the jet skiing with uh, our colleague keegan matheson and uh good way to see the bay
0: yeah it, it sounds like a nice did you have to go through the licensing thing and, and all that to, to be able to ride jet ski or they just let you do it
1: well if you are above 35 then you just get to do it if you are under 35 you have to fill out a form or go through a little test thing where they basically say, don't be dumb on the water. And, you know, uh, that's a threshold, apparently.
0: (laughs) Well, the age and don't be dumb on the water threshold, uh, thumbs up. It worked out. Uh, I, I guess you and Keegan have to do it again today, though, right? Because after a team scores 20 runs, you don't want to change anything the next day.
1: Well, just in case that is causation here, we probably should go out and do it again. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it was directly tied to that. We just don't have the evidence to say it wasn't.
0: That's the thing, right? Is, is Right now, the null hypothesis is that you guys uh, doing that led to the win, and we've got to at least prove that that's not the case. Um, jokes aside, Shy, that was a pretty big game. You're down there in Tampa Bay. What was the feeling in that clubhouse after? Because we'd heard some concerning quotes of late about the confidence level and, you know, some of the frustration that had been building from the poor stretch and the inability to execute offensively. How big a relief did you sense in that room after the game?
1: Pretty significant relief. There was also just a lot of joy. There was a lot of finally guys had been feeling like they'd not been getting results commensurate to the quality of the bats that they had to this point. And it just started flowing. It was really interesting to see how it almost turned into like faucet. You just turned it on and then it just started running. And it had been so long and such a long wait for all that to happen that there was a little bit of catharsis and almost like they caught up for all those lost at-bats in, in a couple of innings.
0: Yeah, they certainly did, uh, you know, the numbers normalize pretty quickly. They jump in that one game. They jump from 24th to 17th in the league, hitting with runners and scoring position after going nine for 14 there. Um, certainly this doesn't make a, you know, it doesn't change anything in how we're going to evaluate how this team has, has played lately. We're going to have to be careful of, of small sample numbers and stuff with this one outlier game. But from my, uh, you know, affirmation standpoint of of rewarding these guys for, you know, if they believed the process had been strong all through the struggles, um, how much could you see? And and maybe today's not the right day because Shane McClanahan's on the mound, but how much can you see a day like that? Having a spillover effect for this group?
1: To me, it's more tied to the process that they brought into their at-bats. And you saw it a little bit Sunday. You saw it again Monday, even though there weren't the results there. But the at bats were a little bit more tenacious. You didn't get as many sort of one two pitch outs. Uh, they, you saw good quality of contact and just a lot of grinding. And to me, an example of that last night came with two out, uh, came in two outs when Danny Jansen and Kevin Kiermaier struck out back to back in the second inning. But it was 15 15 pitches combined between the two of them. And that ends up softening Tadge Bradley up. The next inning, George Springer's taking them deep. The inning after that's another two spot. And then suddenly they're into the soft underbelly of the Rays bullpen. And then they're really opening things up. And that's not going to happen in that way every game. But there was the constant pressure on the opposition. I think that's, if you're the Blue Jays, that's what you want to see. You just want to see that pressure being applied to the opponents in a way that it wasn't always uh, in some of the games against the Yankees and the Orioles
0: you mentioned a a few names there in terms of the good process and the good results last night, Uh, George Springer chief among them at at the top of the order. He gets four hits in this one, uh, gets a legs out a triple that had him all smiles uh, looking into the dugout. Also, of course uh, hit a home run. So just a double shy of the cycle that, Again, not to overdo the, well, this fixes all the numbers, but suddenly his batting line is like league average when we adjust for park factors right now. Um, with George Springer specifically, it's it's been such a rough start, and we've heard John Schneider talk about the process is good, the process is good. Um, how how big a day do you think that could be? And really, how big a couple of days? Because he was kind of the only guy that hit uh, hit well on the weekend as well. Are you starting to see George Springer turn a corner here?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting just in talking to him. He'd been feeling that he had been through a stretch where he was making a lot of good contact and just not having anything to show for it. And maybe that's starting to normalize a little bit for him. And you're right about it coming around for him that there's, there are more walks he's on base. He just, doing the kind of things that you need George Springer to be doing. Uh, and now that the ball is starting to fall a little bit for him, it is starting to look a little bit more normal. So uh, for him, it's maybe just some affirmation that he's on the right track. And uh, it was interesting. He, he was saying that when he was younger, he probably would have spiraled a little bit and started chasing results uh, through the early part of the season. And instead he just trusted himself to just keep on doing the things that he needs to do to be successful. And, and it finally started coming around. So, so maybe there's a little bit of reward there for him, too, in, in terms of his patience. But there, with him, there's also a bit of a, a maturity and outlook and an understanding that some of that is just ebbs and flows of the season. just continue working at it and continue believing that eventually the results will turn.
0: And I'd imagine that that's part of what makes George Springer a a strong leader for this team. And we're just going to reconnect with shy here um, to, to clean up that connection a little bit. Um, But I'd imagine that's, that's part of what makes George Springer a really helpful voice to have in that dugout in, in that clubhouse, because he is, He has gone through a bunch of ups and downs, and he's had seasons where, uh, you know, his OPS is up around a 1,000, and he's in the MVP conversation. And he's had seasons like this one where up until yesterday, uh, up until recent days, the numbers really aren't there, even though the process is strong. And George Springer's been a fascinating study over the course of the year because— You look at some of what's under the hood, and there's always a little bit of concern when a guy's in, you know, 33, almost 34, has had some injuries. Um, There's always at at least a quick look you have to do of, you know, how much does a decline signal a decline and how much does a decline signal a a poor stretch? You dig under the hood with George Springer, and, and he's still hitting the ball's. Well, his approach has maybe gotten even better uh, than it had been in the past where he's gotten his um, chase rates down and things like that to to really good levels. He's striking out less than he ever has in his career. Um, and, you know, the walks have come down a little bit because I think teams aren't pitching around him as carefully as they had before, but not striking out goes a really long way. Um, we have Shai Davidia of at Sportsnet, sports.net.ca reconnected with us now. And, Shai, you, you were talking about um, George Springer and his own perspective uh, of having gone through ups and downs like that and not letting it spiral um him and, and the the kind of cachet he holds in this roster in that clubhouse, um how much has him having gone through that and him going through it himself helped kind of steady the waters for everyone else on this team as they go through their own ups and downs?
1: For sure, you know a fair bit because look he's very popular among his teammates everyone understands his importance and he's been, he's got a lot of success under the hood. So when, when he says something, it, it matters. And, and he's a voice, uh, a voice that matters, but you know, it wasn't just him. You, know, you think about Chris Bassett and some of the steady words that, that he had after, after the last Monday, where, you know, this we're, we're fine. We just got to clean up. We're a good team. We just got to be better. And it, there were a lot of messages like that uh, from from players, you know, Matt Chapman would be in that in that class as well. Where you know you just have that experience to understand that. So uh, certain, the one thing about Springer, especially because he bats leadoff, you know, he's a real catalyst guy for that lineup. In a lot of ways, he's an engine that can make the offense go. And so when you've got both the words, the the, the perspective, but also the performance to go with it then then all of a sudden it really energizes the team in a significant way. And to a degree, I believe that's what, what you saw last night.
0: So another, you know, leader on this team, and it's someone who leads more with a, a raw, raw positivity and trying to set the tone, in the lineup is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And it's looked like over the last couple of weeks, you know, 13 game home run drought. He hadn't hit a home run since May 4th. He swung and missed with some big swings in big spots on pitches. He maybe either shouldn't have swung at or should have been able to drive. It did look like he was maybe one of the people who was not able to, keep that perspective in their execution and trying to do a little bit too much, trying to hit the game winning uh, hit every time out. And I know that Vlad has talked about in the past that he has done that. He has wanted to put up numbers. He has wanted to be uh, the heart of this offense, a night like last night for him. And yeah, the grand slam came off a first baseman. It's maybe not the, the, you know the hit that gets you right but seeing one go over the fence having a couple of hits early in the game as well coming up with six rbi um what can a game like that do for vladimir guerrero jr given that you know from from afar it's looked like he was pressing a little bit lately
1: yeah it's really interesting i ended up talking to him about that on monday night and and he said more than 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 that because he did not feel like he was necessarily pressing. He felt that he was more just fighting his timing, and you have to remember that we're like two and a half weeks ago. He missed a couple of games in Pittsburgh with the the wrist issue, uh, and then last week he missed a couple of games after tweaking his knee. You know, there there are a couple of physical things there that might be a factor as well, although he didn't certainly point to either of those. But that's def- those things are definitely a factor, I would think. And then, you know, you factor that in with the guy fighting his timing a little bit. And maybe that's what causes some of those swings there, because he's not feeling quite right at the plate. He ends up looking like uh, like he's like he's chasing or forcing things, or, or maybe ends up swinging at pitches that he normally wouldn't. So. You know, I'm, I'm inclined, as you mentioned, to sort of disregard that grand slam in the ninth inning. I, I, I'm not sure how much you're taking off, you know, contact off the position player, but the two RBI singles earlier in the game where things were still in leverage, to me, that's far more significant. Those were both good at bats. Those were him fighting off tough pitches to, to put the ball into play uh, and bring in runs at key spots. Uh, and that, to me, is a, is a bit more significant in terms of Guerrero Jr. getting back to himself.
0: Um, so you mentioned those, those are hits in leverage. I, I did want to ask you about one of the hits that didn't come in leverage, um, because I mentioned off the top, 11 different Blue Jays got hits in this game. Alejandro Kirk uh, didn't get into uh, the game, so he didn't get a hit, but everyone else who got in there, or 12, 12 Blue Jays, sorry, uh, got into the game, and 12 of them got hits. That included... Ernie Clement, who uh, was maybe not even expected to be there. Otto Lopez had been activated for Santiago Espinal the day before. They then turn around and uh, option Otto Lopez back down, call up Ernie Clement. They had to clear a spot on the 40 man for him. Uh, So if anyone missed it, Mitch White got moved to the 60-day injured list. No real impact on his timeline, but it opened up a 40 spot for Ernie Clement, who had been red hot at triple a we've seen him in the majors cups of coffee with Cleveland and with Oakland shy what what went into the kind of quick turnaround there between Lopez and Clement and uh, what is this front office Uh, I know people do the well he's a Cleveland guy thing Uh, what is this front office like like that Ernie Clement can bring to this bench
1: well there's a few things there one you have to think about the performance at triple a Buffalo and you definitely earned it right if you're treating this as a results-oriented game. He's the guy who's been putting up the best results at AAA and it kind of forced his way into the picture after he came in as a minor league free agent. You know, so I think that's certainly one piece of it. Uh, the second piece is that he is, he's got some more major league experience, whether it's 110 games in the big leagues under his belt, uh, and is a very strong defender. And when you look at how the Blue Jays are set up right now, more than necessarily at bats, the, the pathway uh, to playing time for that kind of role is you know being able to provide really strong defense at a couple of different spots. So Comet does that probably a little bit more effectively than than Otto Lopez right now. Uh, and then the last piece is that uh, he was he had a, a mi- some minor uh, minor tweak uh, physically in the minors. And I think there was also a degree of the Blue just waiting to make sure that he was physically fine before he came up. And that was, uh, once he was essentially good to go, then then up he came. So I think it was a combination of a few different things. Uh, But the important one there, uh, I think, is the, the Major League experience combined with how the skill set matches up to what the opportunity might look like.
0: Yeah. And it's always good to have a a little insurance at at a couple positions that Santiago Espinal is normally the one providing Ernie Clement uh, through his minor league and major league career. And as recently as this season in Buffalo has played first base, second base, third base, shortstop and left field. Uh, I also, I, I just have to ask because of the way yesterday's game went, he's also pitched twice before. Uh, at the major league level, what, do you did you ask at all if John Schneider thought about countering the the Luke Rayleigh and Christian Betancourt with a, a position player pitcher of his own?
1: I don't think that the Blue Jays wanted to do that, and uh, I don't I don't know that I've ever seen a, a position player relieve another position <laughs> player mid inning before. So it's definitely not the spot that you want to put anybody in. And, and look, the, the Blue Jays also activated Adam Simber off the injured list. Uh, yesterday and sort of uh, an ideal way to get him back in the action. It's like here, have uh, have at it with a 19-run lead and just get yourself uh, get yourself back into the swing of the big league thing. So uh, it, it kind of worked out in, in a lot of ways, and uh, like I, I'm certain the Rays weren't thrilled to have to have both uh, both Rayleigh and Betancourt uh, pitch yesterday. Uh, I think the Blue Jays. Uh, as potentially comedic it would have been we're not uh we're not interested in going down that road
0: shy it's very very rare so if anyone looks at fan or other sites like that you can see the win pro or the the leverage index of each additional plate appearance and, and that kind of measures hey how much could this swing the win probability of this game and usually because there's no such thing as zero and a hundred percent for the most part there's always like a, a uh, some decimal of a chance. Adam Simber came into that game with one of the first instances I've ever seen of a zero point zero zero leverage. There basically, there's no no example of a nineteen run lead uh, getting blown. So so it doesn't get smoother than that um last one on you from last night before we we turn to look ahead at the rest of the series Jose Brios with another solid outing I I think maybe it was lost in the lost in the sauce of of putting up 20 runs but his ERA is now down to 422 Um, he has the third highest swinging strike rate of his career the lowest walk rate um what are the Jays liking about what what Jose Brios has done lately and is this you know, a change that we should like, like, is this who we should expect him him to be once again? Now, uh, a, a guy with an ERA around four who can look like a really good number three, number four in the rotation.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, Blake, because I was thinking about this yesterday and I have to dig through the numbers on it a little bit more, but I just can't remember a stretch last year where it felt was as, performing as well as he has over the last several outings for him, uh, right now. You know, you just think about just some of the situations where he's taken the ball and really turned the fortunes for, for the Blue Jays at key times. And it just, last night, it never felt like, once he got out of that base of the loaded gem in the first inning, it just never felt like the Rays were going to threaten him again. Uh, and he was saying that he feels, uh, really confident right now he feels like he can throw the ball exactly where he wants to whenever he needs to uh he can manipulate his uh, his breaking ball in different ways he's got a softer when he threw it at 72 he threw it in the 80s last night too uh, a pretty incredible range on that pitch and obviously can change the shape of it as well uh based on need the the changeup is effective uh and he can work with both fastballs so In that way, I don't know that we saw him performing quite at this level, even though he had some good starts last year, quite at this level. And I think the Blue Jays are are definitely buying in. They believe last year was an aberration. They believed in the changes that he made over the winter uh, would lead to these kind of results, and and they're seeing some of the proof there. So, you know, it it is sort of mid-May or late May that you don't want to say, all right, that's it, he's fixed, and this is it forever. But it's a pretty good sample right now and it allows you to sort of breathe a lot easier and say, Okay, you know, maybe we don't need to have this as a as a primary worry right now and that you know, he definitely seems to be on track if he's not already back to, to where he's been.
0: Yeah, and I, I did pull some of those numbers, Shia, and his July last year had six starts where they were all roughly around league average or a little better in terms of, you know, game score, which tries to put every every starting pitcher outing on a, on a 0 to 100 scale. Um, but he has been above average or he's been average or better in seven of his last eight starts so a bit of a rough start to the season but it's really only that boston game that stands out i don't know that he had a stretch of that much sustained success last year even and and, you know success is relative where we're talking about average or better start but given where he came from with most of last year i think that's uh that's pretty encouraging uh you say kikuchi will get the ball tonight shy uh, up against shane mcclanahan now you say Kikuchi was kind of the success story of April on the pitcher side. It was kind of him and Matt Chapman in April. And now that switched to it. it's Brandon Belt and, and Jose Brios here in May. Um, Kikuchi's numbers have taken a-, a bit of a dip back. Um, what are you looking for from Kikuchi tonight against the Tampa Bay lineup that can really punish left-handed pitching?
1: Well, he's had some success in the insurrect. you think about uh, the strong outing he had uh, when Back in April, when when the Rays were in Toronto, and it's interesting, like the slider was the, an important weapon for him uh, in 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 April, and it hasn't been quite the same so far in May, and maybe that's tied to it a little bit. But for Kikuchi, it always just starts with just throwing strikes and being aggressive, and uh, you, you know, even in that Arlington against Baltimore, there were still a lot of strikeouts there. He was still able. To, to do some stuff against another lineup that, that really mashes lefties and if he can come with that and then have the slider be effective for him then he's super tough and so there are some ups and downs for him this month I, I think that his struggles this year also feel a little bit different than last year where last year it felt that he was beating himself a fair bit whereas now at least it's it's not walks that are killing him. It's, you know, the opponent opponents earning it through, through hard contact. And when a pitcher is doing that with his kind of stuff, I feel like it's an easier adjustment to maybe just change your sequencing or change the location uh, a little bit, as opposed to having to find a mechanical fix in order to, to get a guy back into the zone. So uh, that will certainly be what I'm watching for tonight with, with Kikuchi, uh, and, and, look, there, there's, maybe there's a, a bit of a psychological benefit to seeing the offense explode a little bit. It, you know, the starting pitchers, all the pitchers, had basically been pitching for uh, a week and a half under the feeling that if they give up one run, it might be the difference, and that can be super stressful. So maybe there's a little bit of breathing room there. Not a ton with McClanahan uh, opposite him on the mound, uh, but maybe that helps a little bit as well.
0: Yeah, you'd, you'd certainly hope so, and Kevin Gosman's probably looking at it. They, they've averaged fewer than three runs of support, and Kevin Gosman starts. He's probably looking at yesterday wondering uh, what the team has against him, similar to the BABIP last year. Uh, last one, shot before I let you go, back on the jet ski. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green threw bullpens in front of uh, John Schneider and Pete Walker over the last couple of days down in Tampa as they kind of continue their uh, progression from longer-term injuries. Uh, how did they come through those? And, you know, I, I know Ryu talked a little bit yesterday about about the, the new uh, body that that he's working with and how he's been able to lose some weight as he rehabs back. Um, what does a timeline look like for either of those guys if there is one right now?
1: Yeah, it was actually really cool watching the, the bullpen. It's, uh, not only were, were Schneider and Walker there, but almost the entirety of the, the Blue Jays pitching staff was just standing behind and, and watching them do it, uh, offering, offering uh, support and encouragement, which is... Uh, really appreciated by, by both guys. Uh, you know, in terms of a timeline, it's still hard to tell, uh, repeated that his goal all along has been to have a return just after the all-star break and that his structure, his schedule was structured accordingly. Uh, Chad green was a little bit, uh, less specific. He just said, look, I just want to just keep hitting the, the physical threshold that I need to get back when I get back. Uh, But I would think that with both guys, I would think August would be sort of a great time for them to return. And if if it was earlier, all the better. But there's also the balance there to not rush guys back from Tommy John rehabs. It's it's a very tricky process. And oftentimes waiting a month is far better than, you know, rushing uh, a couple weeks earlier. Uh, And in that way, too, both guys could sort of turn into really pivotal line-style additions for the Blue Jays, right? Uh, If Chad Green especially is able to come back and be Chad Green, that he's been with the Yankees, then all of a sudden the Blue Jays have an absolute weapon in their bullpen – uh, the kind of weapon that is very difficult if not impossible to get at the trade deadline and that would be a major boost. And, uh, same with Ryu in terms of if he, if there was a need in the rotation then all of a sudden he'd lengthen things uh, if, he, if, he, if he's healthy maybe you go to a six man rotation for a period of time to just allow guys to get a little bit of extra rest or wait for things to shake out the way they may shake out. There are a number of different ways you can, can approach that uh, but There's still a fair amount of work for both guys before we start seriously getting to that point. Neither of them are spaced hitters yet. They're going to have to do that. They're going to have to obviously pitch into rehab games and build up their physical capacity. So uh, there's still quite a bit of runway left, but uh, everybody seems to be pretty encouraged by what they saw from the way both guys threw the
0: ball. That's great to hear, and it certainly has has seemed like while the you know the actual on mound stuff and the obviously the injury stuff the last year or two has been tough on Hyunjin Ryu, really seems like he has a a spirit effect in that clubhouse and in that dugout. Everyone seems to to get up a little more when he's around. Uh, Shai Davidi, it is a twenty seven degrees in St. Petersburg right now. I'm going to let you go. You enjoy your morning before you head down to the trop. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Good, good catching up. Talk soon. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet, of Sportsnet.ca. He's got you covered uh, as this series continues down in Florida. It's Yusei Kikuchi against Shane McClanahan tonight. Shane McClanahan, who has somehow improved his ERA, somehow improved his fastball velocity, somehow improved his ability to finish hitters when he gets into two strike counts. How does one of the best pitchers in baseball get even better We'll take a break, and then we'll talk to Neil Salons, uh, the Rays play-by-play voice on the Rays Radio Network. Uh, Next, we'll get the inside look at Shane McClanahan. We'll see if Luke Rayleigh needs to tweak anything in that EFIS pitch of his uh, as well ahead of his next outing. Uh, Neil Salons joins us next for the Rays side of things as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, The Fan, and Sports at 360.
2: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar
3: and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever
4: you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's win last night, 20 to 1. Two days of talking about how they can't hit. With runners in scoring position, or at all of late, materializes in a 20-run, 27-hit outburst. And yes, half of that came against position players, uh, but half of it came against real pitchers uh, as well. Let's, uh, Let's break that down. Let's tee up. We will uh, we'll talk to Neil Salons shortly, the Rays play-by-play voice on the Rays Radio Network. Um, we'll talk about Shane McClanahan going up against Yusei Kikuchi tonight. Alec Manoa against Zach Eflin in the finale of that series. That's one o'clock tomorrow uh, as a heads up. So we're uh, we're like a borderline pregame show tomorrow, which would be fun. Last year, JSOC Plus was in the three to five slot, so it was a lot of final segment. Let's uh, let's break down the pitching matchups and the batter batter versus pitcher trends and things like that. Uh, so we'll get to do a little bit of that tomorrow and next week. The Jays have another one o'clock weekday game next week. So you got something to do during the workday. Kikuchi and McClanahan go tonight at 640. Uh, so Blair and Barker will have you five to 630. As a reminder, uh, this is the shuffle uh, for our schedule. Now that the Leafs are, are done and it's uh, all Jays all the time, baby. Uh, joining us now to help us break down last night's 20 to one masterpiece and tonight's, uh, Game three of the series. It's Neil Salons, Rays play-by-play voice on the Rays Radio Network. And first, Neil, uh, congrats on the the promotion this season to the the full-time play-by-play gig on on the Rays Radio Network. How's it been going?
3: Uh, well, obviously, um, the team has played extremely well. I mean, last night's side um, and those games are going to happen in a 162 game season. But I appreciate yeah, appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for thanks for doing it. And uh yeah, last night didn't uh didn't work out so well. Uh do we need to break down Luke Rayleigh's EFIS and, and what does he need to do in his next bullpen session to make sure that's not getting hit 115, 120 miles an hour?
3: Uh I'm just glad A, he didn't get hurt and nobody else got hurt. I mean, really, when you're playing as you know, the Jays are playing seventeen straight, the Rays are playing sixteen straight. Sometimes there is a game in there in a hundred sixty two game season where you have to punt. Um, you have to you hate to do that at home, but I mean he took one for the team and he did what you asked and he had fun doing it and I'm sure Vladimir Guerrero Junior, even though he hit a grand slam later, is probably getting ribbed an awful lot <laughs> for the next uh long time for striking out against a guy throwing 50 miles an
0: hour. Hey, it's a it's a tricky pitch, and it's uh, sometimes you connect with it for a grand slam. Sometimes you take a, a big old whiff and almost come out of your shoes in it. Um, so the Jays did put up 20 runs, 10 of them coming off position players hitting, but before it got to that point, they'd still managed to get 10 runs off of a couple of interesting Tampa Bay Rays arms. Taj Bradley being the first of them gives up four over four innings. He did strike out seven batters. Um, it's been a little bit of an up and down for Taj Bradley to start the year, both at the major league level and at the triple a level. How much of this is a a rookie just going through what you expect a rookie to go through and how much of it is him being asked to contribute at the major league level, maybe a little ahead of schedule because of all the injuries the Rays have had.
3: Um, You know, I'm not sure. I I, I think anytime you're 22 years of age at the big league level, you're going to have ups and downs. Um, You know, I, I thought, that probably last night, you know, he learned a couple of things uh, during the course of his outing that hopefully he'll apply and starts going forward. I mean, the six runs off Zach Birdie, Zach was basically a fill in arm, um, you know, because Jake Peekman had gone on the um, paternity list and the rays have shuffled and cycled through guys because of no days off. And, you know, he had done a nice job before and he had a tough outing yesterday. And, um, you know, I, I, big picture, I, I don't see it as a, a major issue for Taj. I mean, I expect that his first year in the big leagues, he's going to have really good starts and he's going to have outings like yesterday where he gives up four runs and in four innings. I mean, you know, as it, tough as the results were, you know, he leaves the game 4 nothing. it's still manageable. Um, you know, I think the bigger challenge that he probably, or the thing that he's probably most disappointed in, is it took him four innings to get uh, or 80 pitches to get through his four innings. I think, you know, if he can learn to be able to navigate that, you know, 80, 85, 90 pitches and go through six innings, and give up four innings, I think he probably feels a little bit better about the outing in a night like yesterday because it saves the bullpen primarily.
0: Yeah, and and something to build on for him with seven strikeouts and no walks. The strikeout to walk ratio is obviously, you know, pretty pristine over his major league stint so far, uh, despite the 444 ERA. So still a lot of excitement there. I'm curious, you mentioned Zach Birdie. He obviously had a a rough kind of fill-in appearance yesterday. It is his third appearance of the season for the Rays, and he's someone that once the Rays scooped him up, I kind of put... Uh, you know, the magnifying glass to a little bit because, I mean, first of all, anytime the Rays grab someone who's who's flamed out in a couple other organizations, you get curious. The Rays have had some success with those guys. And in Zach Birdie's case, it wasn't that long ago, he was a number, he was a first round pick and, and a pretty well thought of, uh, prospect who at, at one point we thought was going to move through uh, the White Sox system pretty quickly and, and get to the major leagues. It hasn't worked out that way, but what have the rays or what are the rays betting on, you know, with Zach birdie, if they can turn him into some org depth uh, as a relief pitcher, what is it that they've, they've looked at and, and are working on with him?
3: Well, I mean, I think you brought up the injuries. The Rays have cycled through what? 23 pitchers so, already. I'm not counting position players to this point of the year that's before Tyler Glass now comes off the injured list or Andrew Kittridge or, or Sean Armstrong. Um, you know, I, I think the last couple of years because of injuries, they've had to cycle through, you know, 30 some odd pitchers in each of the last couple of years. And, you know, in, in Zach's case, I think the biggest thing for him is for him to be healthy. Um, you know, he hasn't been that in a couple of years now. And, and, you know, I think, um, you know, hopefully going forward, he just continues to stay healthy. And then, you know, over time, we'll just see how he evolves. Um, with the organization, I think you can see that probably about a lot of arms. I think the Rays are always going to have as much depth as they possibly can. Some names, like Jason Adam last year, are going to really hit. Um, some guys, you know, not everyone will. Some, are, you know, everyone's going to fill a different role. And I think what the Rays do a really good job of is making sure to acquire enough depth to get them through periods um, and, you know, to also protect the arms that they think are are extremely valuable and and you know i think going forward i think adding tyler glass now back to the rotation the fact that they're 35 and 15 with him not having thrown a single pitch i think just speaks well to the overall depth
0: yeah and and i you know i mentioned to Rays general manager peter bendix when he was on my show earlier this week that it sometimes feels like the rays have a 50-man roster with how they're able to uh, manage all of that depth you mentioned glass now a couple times there he Goes through Tommy John. He He's coming back this spring and, and then gets scratched with an illness first and then uh, an oblique strain. It's been a bit of a long road back. He only threw six and two thirds innings for the Rays all of last year uh, and only a partial 2021 20, as well. It, it's been a handful of years since Glasnow had, uh, you know, even a, a partial Kind of workload for a starter. Just how big a difference maker could he be for the Rays when he works up? I'd imagine to start, they're doing a, a very raised thing, and he'll probably go like three, four innings or something like that. Um, but long term, this rotation could use another front end guy. Can Tyler Glasnow still be that for this team?
3: I don't think there's any question he can. I think that's why they signed him to an extension last year. Um, you know, you look at his, what he did in in returning last year and the postseason start that he had against Cleveland. Um, and his last outing for Durham was six innings. So, mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, yeah, so I, I would think that he would be in that five, six inning range when he returns. Um, but I don't think there's any question that he can still be in front of the rotation guy. I think if you look at his results with the Rays, um, he has been in front of the rotation guy when healthy. Um, and, you know, I think the Rays are hoping now that he missed close to the first third of the season, that um that probably will take any reins off that he would have had on innings limits going forward, you know, because you're, if let's say he was to make, you know, you were hoping in a full season, 30, some starts now, well, you're asking him to make 20, you know, 20 to 22 starts. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, hopefully long-term, that's a good thing for him. I mean, you look at the numbers that he's put up, he's got what, uh, you know a, a 305 ERA with, with about thirty, you know 136 ERA plus over his <laughs> over his starts with the Rays. Um, you know the the challenge has been it's 50 big league starts, um, but when healthy, I don't think there's a guy who's better in this league, um, and there and there probably wasn't before he needed Tommy John. If you look back at his 21 season, uh, than Tyler. I mean, at that point, you know you pop up his numbers. 123 strikeouts in 88 innings. I mean, he was really pitching on the same level that, that Shane McClanahan was.
0: Yeah, and not only the, you know, the huge strikeout numbers, but he trimmed the walks so significantly so he was coming mm-hmm. in at a 4 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. Um that's very exciting I you know as a As a Jays show, a little glad that he's coming back after the the Jays series. Um, But as a baseball fan, really thrilled to see him back. And, yeah, if there's any version of the five shutout innings against the Guardians, uh, Tyler Glasnow out of the gate that Saturday, if it is Saturday, that'll be a a must watch. You mentioned Shane McClanahan there a couple times. McClanahan getting the ball today. Um, I know he had that little bit of a blip against the Yankees two starts ago, but for the most part, this is a guy who was established as an ace and he has taken it to another level. His ERA is the best it's been, his fastball velocity is the best it's been. How has a guy who was already near the tippy top of the league been able to take it to another level this season in McClanahan?
3: I think he's just extremely driven. Um, I, I think that's the thing that stands out, you know, um, I think he looks around the league and looks at some of the better pitchers and said, how are they getting better? And then how can I get better? Um, he works extremely hard. I think, you know, him and Tyler are both I- very driven individuals who put the work in, in the weight room with the training staff, um, et cetera. You know, when, when you throw a hundred miles an hour and you have long levers, you, uh, unfortunately in this game, it's, it's probably more often than not at some point, there's going to be some sort of injury no matter how well you take care of yourself, just because of the ferocity and the velocity, which, which some guys throw in this league. But um, you know, that's, that's the risk you take. But I think Shane does everything in his power to make sure he's ready for every single start he takes. And last year he made all, but a couple of them and I and the hope is that he can stay healthy all year because again, if, if it's those two and Zach Eflin funding your rotation, you know, it allows guys like Taj to continue to grow and mature and have you know, only be a fourth or fifth starter.
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, there's, there's all have also been the injuries to uh, Drew Rasmussen. And, you know, the Rays' ability to withstand this depth is, uh, it is really fun, and it's a cool, you know, organizational story. But, yeah, you want to see the top guys pitching, uh, especially in an American League East that's going to be this competitive, an American League playoff bracket that's going to be this competitive. You you want to see uh, the best versions of teams. So, McClanahan, Eflin, uh, Glasnow is a is a pretty nasty one, two, three at the top. Uh, McClanahan will go up against Yusei Kikuchi today. Now, uh, the Rays have been, by a significant margin, the best offense in the American league against left-handed pitching. It's not even particular. Like, like we're talking a hundred points of OPS better than the next best team uh, against left-handed pitching. But you Kikuchi had a pretty decent start against them last time out. Um, what are you looking for from the Rays side of things? The second time they're seeing you Kikuchi this year. You know,
3: I think I thought that the the start that Kikuchi made that was probably one of his better outings yep. too. Um, his stuff was really, really sharp and really, really crisp. Um, you know, I think sometimes you can have the best plan in the world, but if the pitcher executes his stuff, they start with the ball. So I'm sure they will adjust their plan. I'm sure they'll come up with you know what they want to accomplish. Um, they faced very, very few lefties this year, too. As good as their numbers have been, um, I think over the last four weeks, they have faced two left-handed starters. Uh, they faced, after they got Nick Lodolo, I think in the second game at Cincinnati, it was Nestor Cortez. Um, and then uh, one of the recent series they had against uh, Milwaukee, they faced Eric Lauer. Uh, and that's it. Two lefty starters over a four-week period. So obviously, Kikuchi is very good when he's on. Um, I think the big thing that they've had all all season offensively for the most part is that they've done a really good job staying in the strike zone. Um, They've increased their contact. They've gotten themselves into better counts. uh, And they've obviously done a lot of damage when given the chance.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the, the Rays model, right. Is uh, don't, don't extend yourself beyond what you can do. Let a pitcher come to you. And, you know, it, with, with the exception, of maybe Harold Ramirez, who's uh, who gets the green light to swing at whatever he wants, um, because he's, he's such a good, bad ball hitter. Uh, Neil Salons, Thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Uh, again, congrats on the, the play, full-time play-by-play gig on the Rays radio network and, and enjoy the rest of this series.
3: Thank you. Uh, I expect this is going to be a really good season all the way around for all of the American League East. I mean, I would not be shocked if four teams made the playoffs from this division.
0: It's trending that way, unless Houston can turn it around in the AL West, because Texas is, uh, you know, uh, exactly where they. Texas actually first team since the fifth day of the season to nudge ahead of Tampa Bay and run differential after mm-hmm. that twenty to one uh, game last night. Neil, thanks so much, man. You got it, Neil Salons, play by play voice of the Tampa Bay Rays on the Rays radio network. Again, it's McClanahan Kikuchi tonight. Should be a blast. We'll continue to set that one up uh, and look back at at last night and what it can mean for the Blue Jays as we talk to Caitlin McGrath of the Athletic at 11 o'clock. We're going to keep it Athletic at 1130 as well. Keith Law is going to join us. Uh, He had his latest mock draft come out at the Athletic uh, today. I know baseball doesn't have as much of a draft culture as maybe basketball and hockey uh, and certainly the NFL, but it's pr- a pretty interesting year when two guys from the same school could go one, two um, and it's looks like, or sounds like from, from reading prospect people, like a, a deep enough draft where the Jays might get someone interesting at number 20, a couple of the Jays top picks from last year, getting going in the lower levels of the minors over the last couple of weeks as well, including Josh Kasevis, who's supposed to be uh, mostly a uh, glove guy and is hitting I. A whole bunch of games in a row and had like six hits in a doubleheader the other day. So we'll pick Keith Law's brain on a a bunch of that stuff. Uh, We'll talk to Caitlin after the break as well. Before we do that, Budweiser Stage opened back up last night. Vin Diesel was apparently there. I'm not joking. Uh, Beck and Phoenix are co-headlining Budweiser Stage on September 3rd as part of the Summer Odyssey Tour. We're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into Jay's Talk Plus this week, listen for the code word, and then text that code word to 590 590. Today's code word is up all night. So text up all night to 590, 590 right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to Beck and Phoenix at Bud Stage on September 3rd. Uh, if you don't win today, keep with us. We're giving away tickets all week. And if you don't win with us at all, you can go to ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. We're going to take a break. When we come back, 20 runs for the Toronto Blue Jays. Is everything fixed? We'll ask Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 and Sports at 360.
2: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to J stock plus regression, not always rewarded, but sometimes it's quite rewarding. Uh, You struggle and struggle and struggle to hit for a couple weeks. And look, there's a thing called the gambler's fallacy. It's that if you've lost and lost and lost and lost, it makes you more likely to win the next one. That's not actually true in most games. You know, if you're playing, if you're flipping coins, the fact that you just had eight heads in a row doesn't mean that a tails is more likely to come just means the whole, on the very next flip, just means the whole thing has been a little unlikely. So when you struggle and struggle and struggle to hit with runners in scoring position, what you're expecting regression to do is not to have you get nine hits with runners in scoring position and score 20 runs in one game. What you're expecting is you just return to your normal level. You get back to your baseline of, hey, maybe you're a team that hits, you know, 245 or 250 with runners in scoring position. You don't expect to hit, like 800 with runners in scoring position uh, to get your numbers back to where they are supposed to be. That's what happened yesterday though. The Jays go nine for 14 with runners in scoring position, a bunch of that damage coming against position players pitching, but 10 of those runs coming against an actual pitching staff. uh, So don't throw the whole game out. Kayla McGrath of the athletic joins us now to answer the question of uh, did Jays Talk Plus returning fix the Toronto Blue Jays? Caitlin, did having you on the schedule for today fix the Toronto Blue Jays, knowing that, of course, our segment would be much, much better if we had positives to talk about? Is this all us?
2: It definitely is, I think. I mean, the universe didn't need any more negative talk, and, you know, I consider myself somewhat of an optimist, so I think that the stars really align because of us.
0: I think so, and, you know, when the Jays were going through it, the worst um, you and you wrote about it this at the Athletic in a, in a piece titled Blue Jays confidence hasn't wavered despite rough stretch against the AL East. Um, you know there were some ups and downs there there was the odd quote from a John Schneider or Kevin Kiermaier about what the stretch that they had gone through ha- had had done do the the clubhouse not that it had gotten off off the rails or anything like that but Kevin Kiermeyer mentioned hey some guys are maybe not up there with the most confidence um, John Schneider seemed Sunday after the game to be a little you know at his wits end with with just how much just how snake-bitten the team had been. Caitlin, you've been around this team uh, for a good amount of time, and a lot of the principal players are are the same this year as they were last year and the year prior. How much can a game like yesterday's loosen things up in that room and help things kind of snowball forward positively for this group?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say the Blue Jays, even when they were losing, they obviously weren't coming in like, you know, happy and dancing around, but I would say the the vibe was still very sort of like even it didn't seem like there were really bad vibes or anything. It just like Schneider said a few times, it was like the work was ongoing. The effort was ongoing. Like it wasn't like you saw these long faces. It was just everyone going back to work um, and kind of knowing that at some point it was going to turn for them. And so, yeah, having a big outburst game, I think like helps like, you said in your intro, like, some of those hits were coming off position players, but you know what? Hey, like, if a team's going to do that, you should take advantage of it, not just because you want to win the game, but, you know, there's guys that want, um, you know, have to make money in arbitration or have to go to free agency, and so if Matt Chapman can get another home run out of it um, on his line, then he's going to take it, right? So, uh, as much as, like, you know, this game was a bit inflated because of the what happened on the other side, like if guys are coming out of the game, like a George Springer, obviously most of his hits came against actual pitchers. He's going four for four. That's a big night for him uh, or four for five, I guess. Um, that's a big night for him. Um, and it maybe does get the confidence going a little bit. I don't think, like I said in the article, like that, that confidence was ever like, you know, at all time low and they were really like soul searching and anything like that. Like, I think there was still a lot of um, belief in the team and it was just a really bad stretch, which sometimes happens in baseball, but I do think baseball, the sport can be funny um, and that I think momentum can change really quickly. I think hitting can be contagious, even though it's such a cliche and I don't exactly (laughs) like when people tell me that because I'm like, "Eh, I can't write that. That doesn't mean anything. But, um, you know, I do think that there are examples, though, where a team just needs a sort of breakout game for some tension to be released, because as much as there was not like a loss of belief, I did see. Think that some of the mistakes that were creeping into the game in those latter games, especially against um, the first one against the Rays and the, the latter ones against the Orioles, it was like it was seeming like guys were just trying to force it a little bit or, or push the envelope just to, because they were so desperate for runs, whether it's like with Maryfield getting picked off or guys trying to stretch a single into a double, all these types of things. It was like, hey, now you're seeing guys like just sort of like so desperate to do something that maybe they're getting out of their element a little
0: bit. Yeah, I think you could see that for sure. And Caitlin, something you said in there actually just gave me a wild theory. You mentioned uh, guys, you know, maybe getting hits in those spots. Hey, you got to think of your ARB numbers and what your stats look like for free agency. Well, we know the Tampa Bay Rays are so conscious of... Fiscal things and don't want to, you know, they they've churned through some arm injuries in part because maybe once a guy's getting close to free agency, they know they're not going to pay him anyway. There there are some criticisms like that that get leveled against them. And now I'm thinking, well, the Rays use position players as pitchers more than I think any franchise in baseball. Are they doing that? Also, to inflate the stats of everyone else, so their own guys' stats don't look as strong by comparison, and they can suppress arbitration wages even further.
2: Do you have your tin hat on right now? Yeah, or?
0: I do. I do. It's uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought this through before, but it seems uh, it seems like a thing. Um, in more seriousness, something you said, Caitlin, about offense being contagious. You know, I think that's something that we can you know, we can capture in, uh, I know you don't like the term contagious, but one of the things you can see is, well, okay, George Springer is working really good at plate appearances at the top and maybe Bo Bichette gets to come to the plate having seen a little bit more from that pitcher and he gets a hit and that lets Vlad hit against a pitcher pitching out of the stretch and then you have guys lower in the order working good plate appearances and getting Taj Bradley's pitch count up and stuff like that. I I think there is like a real baseball element to um, offense being contagious that, that we can capture like that. Uh, I wanted to ask you specifically though, about Vlad's performance yesterday. Um, George Springer, you know, I kind of talked about it with Shai Davidi earlier and, and, him having been through these ups and downs and understanding at at 33, almost 34, that that's part of it. Now, Vlad is a guy who, and I know you've talked to him about this before and written about it during other stretches where he's either been hitting the ball on the ground or the homers weren't coming or the strikeouts were up. Um, He's someone who cares a lot. And at times seems like he can press to try to carry the team when things aren't going that well. Um, Yesterday, Obviously, the Grand Slam comes off a Luke Rayleigh-Ephus. It's not a, a right home about it moment, but he also had a couple of RBI singles earlier in the game. Uh, are you seeing the process that you want to see from Vlad when it comes to uh, hitting in in those big spots?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I feel like with Vlad, it's always so determined by, like, the at-bats and, like, the the chase. I think it's always, like, you can kind of tell when Vlad's out of, himself when he's chasing and I know that tends to be his weakness that was really what stood out last year you know chasing you know sliders off the plate that was sort of his Achilles heel last year and I think early on what really struck me about Vlad how strong his start was was that he was not chasing he was really kind of taking those walks and and I think at times when he's trying to do a little too much he gets away from that he doesn't walk as much um, and I think that I, although I don't think he walked yesterday, but it was again, a really, uh, just a performance where he was just kind of trying to keep the line moving a little bit. And I've, I've heard him talk about that a little bit too. It's like, I think that sometimes just who he is, he cares so much that there are times and again, he's still young. Like I, I again, like, I think that that's something that not that we forget, we know he's still young, but I do think it's something that we kind of need to remind ourselves. George Springer has been in the league a lot longer than Vlad has. He has a lot of money years behind him and his career. And I think for Vlad, he's still kind of like learning those lessons a little bit. But, yeah, I think when you see him at his best, he's sort of knowing that he's trusting the guys behind him, knowing that, you know, just moving the line, singling up the middle or whatever it may be is enough. He doesn't necessarily have to go up and, and score the, you know, four run home run with no one on base or whatever that expression mm. is. Um, maybe it's five, whatever. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think like he, um, I liked where he's at yesterday. It seemed like he had a more calmness to him a little bit. He didn't seem too hyped up, um, which I think is something that happens too when the team is pressing and he's trying to do a lot, but that's the key with Ladd. And I think once those singles start to come and he kind of gets on a roll, that's when sort of like he just runs into them and he has enough, obviously like that speed and, and power and raw power to just hit some line drives that are going to leave the ballpark eventually.
0: Um, so lost in the twenty-run outburst, perhaps a little bit is that Jose Barrios was really good again. Uh, seven, seven innings of uh, one-run ball. Once again, you know, managing through some some tough parts uh, of the early innings and getting through it without letting that snowball. Um, he is now the owner of a 4.22 ERA, which. When the Jays traded for him, would have seemed like it was on the higher end of what you were hoping for, and after last year, it seems like right about the best-case scenario. Um, I'm curious as to your, your take... Caitlin on the fact that five of his last six starts have come with Danny Jansen behind the plate. And that's a move that uh, John Schneider made on Saturday as well, to try to help Alec Manoa shake things up. John Schneider downplayed any Jansen versus Kirk element of it and said, it was just trying to change things up and get a different look. Um, But as Danny Jansen continues to build this reputation as being a good game caller and someone who manages uh, starting pitchers. Well, um, do you see any, any impact there in Danny Jansen, not just on Jose Barrios? uh over these last couple starts but in alec manoa having a a better step forward on saturday
2: yeah i mean i mean with brios too i'll just add that like i think if you knock out his first two starts his era is like under three uh which is definitely sort of the guy that maybe the vujays uh, traded for a few years ago so i do think like if he keeps going the way he's going uh the era should probably dip under four at some point um assuming that you know he's continues on this path but to answer your question about you know Jansen and Kirk like it's interesting like I I don't know enough about sort of catching the sort of answer uh, what impact exactly Jansen is having versus Kirk and I do not I, I hesitate to sort of label like the issues that Manoa was having having solely on Kirk like you know Kirk's not calling pitches like way outside the zone right like Manoa is missing his spots um and and command has been a huge issue for him this year and so uh, I don't think that that falls on Kirk um I do think that there are always you know you got to try things as a baseball team I think when things aren't working you might as well switch it up I think that Jansen you know his strength is probably his kind of leadership behind there I think he's got now both Kirk and, and Jansen are fairly good calming presence behind the plate. But I just think that Jansen, a few years more experienced than Kirk, maybe is better suited for some of those um, pitchers that are, I don't want to say like having confidence issues, but certainly maybe guys that have had some ups and downs, whether it's this year or last year in in the case of Brios and Kikuchi. And I do think that Jansen is probably a little bit more um, forceful or just able to sort of, um, get his pitchers to to do what he's saying. Uh, I think it's interesting, like Kirk has really fallen into a great relationship with Chris Bassett. Well, Chris Bassett kind of calls his own games and ha- kind of knows what he's doing out there. And, and maybe Kirk's a better balance for a guy that just needs to be supportive of the pitcher, but the pitcher kind of is in control. And, and maybe a better place for Jansen right now is to be with those pitchers that kind of need a more guiding hand from their catcher right now. I think Gosman will probably see Gosman. Um, and Kirk paired up a little bit more now just because you you want Kirk to have some reps behind the plate and Gosman's another guy much like Bassett where his game plan is pretty straightforward in the sense that he only throws two and sometimes three pitches and he kind of knows what he's doing up there Um, and you know I do think that like Kirk while it's been a while now he did miss like half of camp Um, and you know maybe those weeks were more impactful than we're giving um we're giving thought to I think the bat has been slow to come around for him um and that's another thing like Jansen's kind of getting rolling offensively and so maybe there's just a lot going on with Kirk right now he's playing catch up a little bit still his bat isn't where he wants it to be and and maybe he's just all the pressure with Manoa not performing. Maybe it's also a little bit about giving Kirk a bit of a breather here and just letting him focus on Bassett and, and Gosman while he kind of figures out his bat as
0: well. Yeah, the bat element uh, of it is a big one uh, too. Caitlin, we're a day early for this uh, question, but we're not going to talk to you again tomorrow I don't think. Uh, Alec Manoa will start the series finale tomorrow against Zach Eflin. Uh, on Saturday, he went five and two-thirds innings, gave up two earned runs, five strikeouts to just one walk. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the the bar has lowered a little bit for Alec Manoa in this moment, but that was a pretty solid step forward. You had this great piece uh, at the athletic uh, earlier but before that start talking to Pat Hankin um, who you know if you look at Pat Hankin's season logs hey comes up in his early to mid 20s has two all-star seasons then at age 26 has a disaster of a season leads the league and earned runs allowed and then manages to find his way back lead the league in innings a couple times win a Cy Young make some more all-star games um, what kind of perspective were you able to gain on Alec Manoa's struggles through those conversations with Pat Hankin
2: Yeah, it was actually kind of interesting to talk to him and not to say they're like totally a one for one comparison. I don't I don't know if, (laughs) you know, Manoa is going to follow that track exactly. But it was just interesting, like how Pat Hankin told me, like coming into that, that year before he struggled 95, it was like he kind of figured he had it all figured out. Right. And that's kind of makes sense why you would think that you're coming off 2 all star seasons. You've really kind of feel like you um, figured out the league and you found your place and you're uh, a a cog in the Blue Jays' wheel And, and I think that he basically said to me like the American League youth can humble you and that's sort of what happened and he kind of had to sort of go through those struggles. He had to um you know he watched video he relied on some of his teammates to tell him what was happening but you know ultimately it was just a weird year for him he said he thought there was some bad luck it was like one of those years where he just could every outing it seemed like there was one big inning that he couldn't avoid and his message was pretty simple was that when he came into spring training the next season it was like let me go back to the basics here like let me just go back to what was helping me and really keep things simple and don't try to overcomplicate things and don't try to do stuff that other guys are doing. And, you know, there was other factors he mentioned, like, you know, a catcher um, Charlie O'Brien came in with the blue Jays that year and really helped him with his pitching. And, and that kind of led to the Cy Young um, that year. But I think the main message was just like, for him, he was saying like he has no, you know, no concern with Manoa. Like he knows the guy he is, and it's just kind of getting back to like what you were doing before. And you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. But sometimes the solution is pretty simple. It's not about reinventing pitching or reinventing the wheel or whatever. It's just about kind of doing what you knew you know you're good at. And with Manoa, that's attacking the zone. It's attacking hitters. It's relying on your defense behind you. It's, you know, um, hitting your spots. Um, you know establishing the fastball so we can use the slider and get chased from the slider it's all these things that we know he can do just a matter of going out there and doing it and i know obviously he's been working on it and there is good uh, a good foundation to build upon from that last outing
0: Maybe that's the case for Yusei Kikuchi to get back on track as well. He obviously had a tremendous start to the season, a huge step forward from where he was last year. Yes, he had that he had that blip against the Angels. Uh, but even that, there was some, you know, tough batted ball luck and defensive luck behind it. Still struck out six and only walked one in that game. Um, but the last couple of outings it has started to trend back in the opposite direction for, for Yusei Kikuchi. His, his four starts in May, uh, only one of them ha- has really been a, a high-end start. Um, are you seeing any concerning signs with Kikuchi that, that he's you know returning to, say, a 2022 version of, of Yusei Kikuchi? What, what do you make of the fact that he's had three rough goes his last four times out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that... That is sort of the, um, I don't want to say expectation, but I guess that is sort of the the deal you get with Kikuchi is that, I mean, he's a guy that's probably going to be prone to some ups and downs. I mean, I think that the good thing is that we've seen the walks not completely balloon. I think last outing it was four walks, which would have been the highest he's um, had this season. So it's a little bit reminiscent of what we we're seeing. I still see some good signs from him in a sense that, you know, I imagine last year when some of these, some of those walks piled up, like uh, innings would really spiral out of control. And instead of giving up three runs in an inning, it would be six. Um, And so I think they're still encouraging signs. And we're not seeing those huge innings as much this year, but obviously you want to see a bit more from him. I think the home runs are not something the Blue Jays are totally worried about with him. I know he's kind of up there in the, in the upper, um portion of the league in terms of home runs given up. But I think they're okay with that if there's no one on base. So the key mm. with him is I think just continuing to his attack the zone. It's almost like the Robbie Ray esque um Robbie Ray esque kind of strategy where if you're not walking a bunch of people and you're giving up a solo home run, we can live with that a little bit more than if you're giving up three run shots because you walked two and then gave up a bomb because 'cause you're trying to throw a strike. Mm. Like so I think that's kind of the key with Kikuchi, even though like they're not, you know, they're different pitchers and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I think with Kikuchi, like you're still liking what you're getting from him, right? He's got like a four-ish ERA. I think if you said that before the season, everyone would take that within the Blue Jays organization. I think there's still good strikeout stuff there. This will be a challenge though, because I think I did see that the Rays are pretty good um, mm-hmm. against lefties, lefty. So, you know, this is a really tough matchup also considering the Blue Jays are facing uh, McClanahan too. So this one's a toughie. Um, you know, if he can get through it, if he can get five innings um, and keep the Blue Jays in the game, like I think their team would take that.
0: Yeah, weirdly, last time Kikuchi faced the Rays in mid-April, he he was unbelievable against them. And every other lefty the Rays have faced, they've teed off on. So a bit of an odd one there. Uh, another quick one for you on Kikuchi, Caitlin. We have the Shohei Otani rule now in baseball that, that allows a pitcher to stay in the game as the DH, even after they're removed as the starting pitcher on the mound. Uh, can we get a Yusei Kikuchi version of that that also allows the starting pitcher to stay in the game as a pinch runner if needed?
2: I mean, that would be fun. Like, I was sort of really looking forward to seeing that on Sunday. And then, obviously, the game got so out of hand <laughs> that that run didn't even matter. But, you like, wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, it's been a while since we've seen a Blue Jays pitcher run. I remember Strowman. Yeah, that was years ago. And that was even before the sort of, like, um, no DH rule. Like, I think he was running because they were in the National League at the time, right? Or maybe he was a pinch runner, too.
0: Yeah, I think he pinch ran at one or two points. But yeah, it's certain, certainly not very uh, very common. Uh, Caitlin, as we as we weave through, we just kind of talked about Jose Brios and Yusei Kikuchi, the two guys who were most up and down in 2022, and Alec Manoa, the guy who's had the toughest go in 2023. Given that the Jays have dealt with that many question marks uh, in the rotation so far, are you surprised to hear that they lead the league in innings pitch from their starters with a little over 17 outs recorded for start?
2: No, I'm not totally surprised because we've I mean, they've had some weird blow ups where they've just had some disaster outings, but those have been not as common lately. That was sort of an April thing. And when you combine how much just Chris Bassett alone has been pitching, I mean, he had a complete game there. He's gone, you know, seven, eight, like pretty regularly uh kevin gosman you can pretty much pencil him in for seven innings if not eight a bunch of times um you know you've gotten pretty lengthy outings from kikuchi and brios in the sense that they're kind of going you know five six seven consistently the only one who's not giving you a ton of innings weirdly is manoa who was the guy that led uh the team in innings last year um so no it doesn't totally surprise me i think their era is um up there as well like um the pitching hasn't been an issue um at all really lately like maybe there's been a few blow up uh blow ups from the bullpen a little bit here and there but pitching has been not the issue for the blue jays lately like this whole skid could have been basically because of the offense really not getting big hits and it's not even the offense as a whole it's like they're getting on base they're just not getting the big hits so yeah the starting pitching has impressed me it's kind of been quietly impressive and that like maybe cuz Things aren't going well for them right now. We're not really noticing like how steady the pitching has been.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, story where, hey, they'd gone 11 of 12 games scoring five runs or fewer. Uh, you're not going to win many ball games that way. But it's not because of your pitchers necessarily. It's because you're not even scoring five runs most of the time. Uh, the Jays are actually 12 and two and they managed to score six runs or more. So uh, the pitchers ha- have done their part. Uh, Kayla McGrath of The Athletic, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of
0: course. Thanks. Anytime. Kayla McGrath of The Athletic. Check out all her great work uh, at her author page at theathletic.com slash Blue Jays. You know her work. It's great, great stuff. She's not down in the trot, but still uh, chugging away on the Jays beat. Also over at The Athletic, if you are someone who looks ahead to draft day, in major league baseball. Now that's like six weeks away. We're talking July 9th to July 11th, um, but college baseball is firmly in the swing right now. And I don't know in any sport, I'm it's never too early for me to look at draft stuff. Even if in baseball, these guys might not make an impact on the major league (laughs) level for like four or five years. Uh, But today is the day over at the athletic with Keith law. He has his first official mock draft of the first round up over there with a, uh, a bit of an historic, one, 2 that we'll ask him about. Uh, the Jays have the number 20 pick in this coming draft. He's also doing a live Q&A around the MLB draft uh, a little later today on The Athletic. Last year, he was pretty impressed with the the Blue Jays draft, who they came away with. Brandon Barriera, who has now started to work uh, in their minor leagues for the Blue Jays, um, was a pick that Keith Law liked Tucker Toman, someone they were able to get by offering uh, over slot because they had four picks in the first two rounds and went a little cheaper in some spots, a little more expensive in others. Uh, he is playing at single A Dunedin and off to a, an okay start with some great management uh, of the strike zone in the early going with almost a 15% walk rate. He's only 19, but he's a, another kind of flexible infielder that. It wouldn't be all that surprising to see move through the lower levels of the minors uh, quickly. We don't know who the Jays are going to draft, obviously, uh, just yet, but we can talk to Keith Law about what this draft looks like around pick number 20. And we can also touch base on some of the names in this system, whether they were last year's draft picks or names like Hayden Yinger and Hagen Danner, who might be MLB bullpen ready. We'll take a break and we'll see what Keith Law of The Athletic thinks about the Jays system and the upcoming MLP draft as Blue Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590, The Fan, and Sports at 360.
2: Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Joining us now, he has his first mock draft, first full official mock draft out. He's going to do a MLB draft live Q and A at the Athletic this afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. And he's got just tremendous music taste. It's Keith Law of the Athletic. Keith, it's been a little bit. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I love Hi. the uh, love the intro music. Uh, I, of course, I. I f- fire up your blog and I look at, you know, what's Keith Law <laughs> been listening to lately and we're, we're going to do some baseball stuff. But I guess since, uh, since that's how, how we started it there with a little tinfoil by pinch. Um, what are you, what are you spinning right now? What, what's really hit for you in
4: 2023? Uh, that's a good question. There've been good albums. There's been a lot of individual stuff. I know the Arlo parks. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's out this week. Yeah. I've loved every single she's released so far. I think I've pretty much loved every song she's ever put out <laughs> there now that I think about it. Um, looking forward to the Speedy Ortiz album. I liked Blonde Shell. I don't know what you thought of that. I liked it. I didn't love it. I, people are going berserk over that. I'm like, it's good. It's good. I feel like I've heard it a good bit like it before.
0: Yeah, I, I liked it a fair amount, but that's also like that's Blake core. Like that's that's kind of right so, in the sweet spot yeah, yeah. <laughs> of uh, of the stuff that I'm going to uh, going to like. I'll, I'll send you some recs off the show as well. I have a, yeah, a, a UK punk band. I, I think you might be into, uh, but they have a swear in their name. So I'm not allowed to say it on air here. Uh, um, Keith, it is uh, MLB draft season, July 9th. The Major League Baseball draft will go down. It's a for a, a show about the Jays where they have the number 20 pick. It's maybe Not the absolute A1 topic here on May 24th, but you do have your first full mock draft out. Um and it has a pretty historic thing at the top. If you're one two go, if, if it actually goes the way you have it mocked, we're going to see the number one pick and the number two pick both come from the same program in LSU. Just how special is that LSU team and how cool has it been to, you know, get to scout, the two top prospects at the same time. Uh, this is uh this is a pretty unlikely and pretty rare thing with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skains.
4: I don't think we've ever had that before. We've had one, three Garrett Cole yeah. was first overall in 2011. Trevor Bauer was third. I don't know, can we say his name? Maybe I shouldn't have said his name at all. That, <laughs> no, that, his
0: ERA his ERA is like in the double digits over in Japan. You can say whatever you want about him at this you, point.
4: Yeah, you, you hate you hate to see yeah. it. You just hate to say it. Um <laughs> Yeah, this LSU club, you know, that they're, they're, they've they always been a great program. They have unbelievable facilities, too. I always joked. I don't know what how anyone ever says no after the recruiting trip down to Baton Rouge just to see their behind. I'm not talking about the stadium, but the behind-the-scenes stuff, the clubhouse and the trainer's room, et cetera, are all just incredible. Um, but the advent of this name and image likeness, NIL Money, uh, has really helped LSU and, and a number of other uh, similar programs where they've brought in – some incredible transfers paul Skeens was at air force last year and he was not this good he was a prospect but he was 92 95 now he's like 96 to 100 and that when i went to see him in late april he had 100 or better seven or eight times in the first inning which makes him the hardest throwing starting pitcher, pitching prospect i've ever personally scouted. he oh. is and he would be the first overall pick in a lot of years but this year is loaded dylan cruz i think is the easy number one overall prospect and I have five guys on my rankings, so I have going one through five in a different order in the mock today, who I think would all be 1-1 one, one good in most years, including last year when Jackson Holiday, who's a very, very good prospect. He went first, but he was not a consensus guy, and you put Cruz or Skeens or Wyatt Langford or Florida in the, into last year's draft. All of them would have gone first overall, and I don't think there would have been much of a debate
0: over it. So that's at the very top of the draft. The Jays select twentieth. Um, we know this is the Major League Baseball draft. You're going to get guys in the twenties. You're going to get guys out of the first round. You're going to get guys who, in the modern setup, are, are undrafted or in the past used to be like thirty seventh round picks. Um, a draft mm-hmm. that's that that is this spicy. In the top five, how much does that trickle down to are the Jays going to be looking at, at someone you consider a, an impact name around number 20?
4: Yes, well, I think they could. Right, It all depends on their individual preferences, right. but I do think they've got a chance to get a really good position player, high school or college, depending on their preferences. And there might be some good college pitchers down there. The college pitching crop is a little it's not bad, but it's definitely a little strange where you've got the clear top guy in Paul Skeen. I think you've got a clear number two guy in Rhett Lauder at Wake Forest. He's going to go way before the Jays. And then you've got a bunch of wild cards, guys who maybe could have been top ten if they just had better gears, shown a little bit better, you know, stuff that wasn't quite as crisp as it was when they were sophomores. But there's going to be a lot of that type of player available I have heard the Jays as the one team in the first round that's very interested in UNC outfielder and former third baseman, Mac Horvath, who I do like quite a bit. I think he's a borderline first-round talent. Um, I love the swing. It's big exit velocity. I think he's going to hit for a lot of power. I think he's a good enough athlete to play a, a, an above-average right field. My only hesitation with him is that I think in the eyes of the industry, that would be a reach. Now That's not to say he would be a reach definitely, but most other teams have said to me, they don't really think he's a first rounder. He's a second pick, a sandwich pick, high second round pick, good player, maybe not that kind of impact at 20, but it's the eye of the beholder. The Jays really believe, and I've heard they really, really like him. They really believe he is an impact bat, and he has been much better at the plate in his junior year than he was in his sophomore year, then just take him. That's the guy you believe in. Just take him. Doesn't matter what the industry
0: thinks. Well, it's also it's also a matter of the Jays don't have another pick until eighty nine in this draft, I believe, because mm-hmm. of uh, you know losing their their second round pick due to signing a qualified free agent, and they don't have any of the competitive balance uh, picks or anything like that. So if you don't get a guy at twenty, you better hope he's there uh, at eighty nine. Now, I have to ask you about a name. This is a name for the later rounds, but the Jays have had. Uh, a bit of a lean toward legacy guys, guys who, whose family maybe allowed them to grow up around the game. And one of the most interesting names that I've read in your write-ups recently, uh, Homer Bush Jr., a extremely <laughs> tall version of his dad. What are we looking at with Homer Bush Jr.? Yeah, he's he's a good bit like his dad,
4: actually. Yeah, he's taller. He looks just like him. I've mm. seen him a couple of times. Saw him as a as a sophomore, and then again this spring. Uh, he's not. A top 100 prospect for me he is on some other list i think mlb pipeline they do great work i think they had him in the 90s on their list he's fast he's got some bat speed it's below average power i'm not really sold on the defense i'm really not sold on the approach at the plate he plays for grand canyon who play in a, a mid-major conference So he's not facing the best competition and my fear with him and this was a little bit true of his dad too is that he's just not going to have the patience or the contact skill that you need to be a low-power, high-speed guy. I do think you'll hear his name called probably in the third round. I'm just saying I I think he's a little bit below that when I line up this draft, which, like I said, is really strong in college position players.
0: In general, Keith, this isn't related to Homer Bush Jr., but um, around the minor leagues, looking at the draft, as Major League Baseball has tweak their rules and we've seen a a pretty big spike in the rate of stolen base attempts has that shifted anything at all in in terms of how teams value speed in, in the lower levels of the minors or on draft day
4: i think well it'll be really interesting to see in this year's draft now that we've seen stolen bases actually spike will teams shift how they evaluate players my gut Response right now is no because they've always loved speed. We've mm. always overdrafted speed, even when stolen bases were on the decline, because it's also a proxy for athleticism and it has other, it's a proxy on some level for defensive ability or defensive upside. And there is still value, even if you're not stealing bases, and having guys who are faster and can take extra bases. So there, there's some value for speed. I think we've drafted a little too much for it, but this is part of the debate at the top of the draft where. I mentioned Wyatt Langford, who's put up numbers that are almost as good as Dylan Cruz's and is a much better runner. But Cruz is a little bit of a better hitter. Cruz is a center fielder. Langford is a left fielder, despite the, uh, the greater speed. If, team, if there are any teams out there, I know individual scouts who like Langford better, the number one argument is actually he's much faster. Mm-hmm. And how much is that worth? And is that worth more now that we're in this high steel, well, I think, two months into what might be a high steel era in which we haven't seen probably in 30 years.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun at the major league level. I, I always obviously mm-hmm. can't scout the stat line, but the stolen bases on minor leaguers on their way up always pop. Oh, they're it, way up. Yeah, and it, it's you know I I like to look at it. I remember um, before he got to the major league level and some of the approach stuff was exposed. I I loved Kevin Pilar coming through the minors because every time I looked, I'm like this guy has. 50 stolen bases or 40 stolen bases. What's not to love? Um, So that's the top of this draft And Keith, you do have your MLB mock draft 1.0 up at the athletic. If anyone has more MLB draft questions, a live Q and a over there at 1. PM Eastern today, let's take it to a Jays spin. I I know it's fairly early in the minor league season uh, still. And most of your focus is on the draft side, uh, but within the Jays system, has anything stood out to you at, at a high level early on this year?
4: Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't spent, like you said, I haven't spent enough time looking at it. You know, if there are, obviously I'm happy to talk about specific guys, but I have not gone through anyone's system, not just the Jays, because it's been so draft heavy and it's been so good. I've traveled more to see draft players this year, certainly since before the pandemic, but I actually think I might've seen more players in my top 50 than I ever have because the draft because it's just so good. And I i mean, I feel almost compelled. Like, I can't stop going to see
0: that. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, so l- let's then take a look at, at some of last year's draft picks for the Blue Jays, um, because they have started mm-hmm. in the minors. You know, Tucker Tolman at, at Dunedin. Brandon Barriera has made a couple starts. Josh Kasevich is, is in a bit of a hot streak right now. Um, I guess before getting into any of those individuals, when you just like uh, philosophically with someone who was drafted last year, so July, 2022, mm-hmm. and, and maybe did some complex league or low minor work at the end of the season. At what point in this season do you start really taking a look at them and checking in on where they're at?
4: I've always said Memorial Day is a good check-in okay. point, roughly, sorry, American Memorial Day. <laughs> um, so we're one week early I, here. <laughs> yeah, well, like about two months in, that's not definitive by any stretch of the imagination, but you've got some data. You've got a little bit of a body of work. Teams might have seen each other more than once. You know, might have seen a pitcher multiple times. The book, so to speak, has started to get out on players, majors and minors. At that point, so I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong. I just pulled up the Dunedin stats to make sure I'm not talking out of school here. And Tucker Tomans played 34 games, got 150 plate appearances. No one's saying that's a definitive sample, but you like to see how he's doing. That's a point where I would say, hey, it's fair to, to take a look and. See what's good and what's not good, and say, "All oh, right, here are things I want to see maybe in the next hundred and fifty plate appearance.
0: Yeah, with Tucker Toman you know, we can take a walk at this point. That that's pretty, you know, that's one of those early stabilizers too. So you you know, that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, curious uh, with Brandon Barriera, who who is also on that team. He, he's made three starts. You know, the ERA, whatever, it's four ninety one, but but a high strikeout yeah. rate and a, a bit of a bit of issue with walks, um, you know, keeping the ball on the ground. At least he's someone that you were pretty high on last year at draft time. You had him entering the season at the athletic ranked as your number three prospect in the blue Jays system. Um, what, where, you know, where is Barriera right now in, in your mind in terms of uh, just how excited a, a Jays fan should be about him?
4: I mean, there's there's positive and negative. The positive is what I've heard. I spoke to a scout who saw them and said the stuff is is pretty close to what it was. It might be a touch below what it was prior to the draft. That's not a shock either for high school pitchers to back up a little bit in their first year. If they back up dramatically, you're concerned. I'm talking about maybe a half a grade or so of – of velocity. Uh, The strikeouts are good. I'm not terribly worried. He's not walking a man an inning, which we certainly see guys do that, especially now that we ask high school players to go from high school all the way to full season ball. We don't have the short season leagues that we used to have, which were a great intermediate step. The one thing I'll say on Barriera that I've heard and seen too is he put on a lot of weight and it's not all good weight. I saw some video of his first start was circulating on Twitter and even went back to, to video I'd had of him prior to the draft and he looks a good 25, maybe 30 pounds heavier, and it's not all muscle, and it's certainly not what I love to see, right? You want to see a guy at that point, I mean, certainly at that age, you don't expect to see guys put on weight, the wrong kind of weight that easily, but also it's fair to say, okay, so what, what did he do this offseason? How much was he working on his conditioning, and is this something the Jays are going to have to monitor more closely going forward? Because you worry about guys, I don't care if you're heavy for, for its own sake, Does it inhibit your delivery? Does it lead to back problems or knee problems over the long term? And that's something I do want to see from him. Hopefully he loses some of it over the course of the season naturally, and the Jays can work with him on conditioning next winter.
0: Um, another name that that's gotten going uh, a little bit at the lower levels of the minors from last year's draft is Josh Kasebich. He, he was more of a, you know, it, it sounded like he was going to be a, Hey, he can defend a couple of different positions. And, and because he's a later college guy, maybe he'll move through the system pretty quickly. The Jays have loved those kind of guys. They've traded away a bunch of them. They still have a couple in the system, um, but he's hit at least by the stat line a, a little bit more than I, I maybe expected to see He's hitting three fourteen over, over 30 games. At high A, uh, Vancouver, have you? Does that change your your thought on him as an offensive piece, or is this just a guy who's twenty two, almost twenty three, um, you know, hitting the hitting the ground running, coming out of a, a long college career?
4: He's done exactly what I thought he would do. I would probably consider moving him up before the mid midpoint of the season. I'm not saying to have to do it right now. He's hitting three fourteen. He is barely striking out. It is a strikeout rate just over ten percent, which is also what we expected coming out of college on a decent percentage of walks, a little bit over 10%. He has three extra base hits, all (laughs) doubles the entire season, and he's slugging 343, and that is also what we expected of him, right? (laughs) So this is a case where you're looking at about 150 plate appearances, but it ties to prior performance, prior observations, prior scouting reports. When you're seeing more of the same thing, you should be more inclined to believe it that, okay, this is what we already saw from you. We had real data and observations to say that the type of player he was. He has continued to be that type of player and also highlights what I think the Jays do need to try to do with him, which he's never going to be a power hitter, but he's going to have to hit the ball harder to be anything more than a utility player. He's going to have to start making better quality contact. This absolute feeling for players of this type is David Fletcher, who had a pretty nice couple of years for the angels before he got DFA'd a couple of weeks ago about 10 war in the big leagues which is pretty good but you could also be nick madrigal who was the fourth pick in the draft and is struggling to be anything more than the last guy on a roster at this point because madrigal is also really high contact very heady player just can't hit the ball hard enough and pitchers realize pretty quickly that if you can't do anything more than hit a weak ground ball or a weak line drive they can just attack you in the zone with impunity
0: They can. And at least with the guys you mentioned and with the Josh Kasevich, there's some positional versatility and defensive value there. Um, I I mentioned Mm -hmm. that to pivot to probably the best performing Blue Jays prospect so far in the minors, uh, but someone with some of the same concerns at a non-defensive position, first base slash DH Spencer Horwitz. He's now 25. He's closer to 26 than he is 25. Um, Big lefty first baseman slash DH type who is hitting really, really well for Buffalo at AAA. And he hit at every level of the minors, but he's someone who 38 games in has just a single home run and hasn't put up big power numbers at many spots in the minors. Like a guy who's 25 and turning the corner to 26, not having displayed much power at all through the higher levels of the minors. um, When that's a first baseman type, what is your your thought on, on a, you know, Spencer Horwitz specifically, but in general, a, a guy at a lower defensive position who has a lot of bat to ball, has a lot of walk rate, but doesn't offer the power that those positions typically do.
4: Yeah, I, I don't I don't see a role for Spencer Horowitz today. You know, he might have had a role 30, 40 years ago where obviously we, we there was just less power overall in the game, but it is really hard to see. Where he would fit on a major league roster, except obviously, if you had more more spots on your bench and could fit, you know, a, a high contact left-handed hitter for you know for platoon situations, late game situations, there might be a spot for him. Like you said, he does not hit for power. He, he makes contact, but it's not great quality contact. And the one thing I'd say, although he has a decent eye, because in AAA they're using the automated strike zone this year as an experiment. Walk rates in the International League where he's playing are up about 15% over last year. It's actually higher even in the PCL. So a lot of guys with pretty good plate discipline have seen their walk rates jump quite a bit this year. And I don't know that that's going to carry over to the majors because we don't have the automated strike zone. So if you called Horowitz up, I still think he'd make contact. He might hit like an empty 280, but the walk rate... I would predict, would not carry forward as much, and that makes it harder to find a role for someone like him. You can't I – mean, God, the Jays have already carried a guy who, who's basically whose only skill was drawing a walk for years, <laughs> Kevin Vigio, who has no place on this roster. What are you going to do? We'll call up Spencer Horwitz, who might just be another type but can't even play the positions that Vigio can? It's it's just hard to see, and it's unfortunate. It's nothing against Horwitz. It's just – that is not a skill set we have a lot of room for in baseball right now.
0: I was wondering if Biggio would come up in this conversation whether by your accord or (laughs) or mine Uh, I saw you retweet something (laughs) from Mike Petriello about him uh, the other day too. It seems like if anyone and I guess this is kind of the story of the high levels of the Jays system right now is they've you know the the rotation has hung in there with only five guys but not a lot of pieces that are that are ready to contribute there um, on the starting rotation side and then they have had a need for bench guys and we're seeing Ernie Clement get, get us a chance now um, after flaming out in Cleveland and Oakland because there just aren't guys uh, ready at the AAA level. I, I want to quickly give you a, a kind of MLB-wide one. We've only got a, a couple minutes left here, Keith, but um, mm-hmm. the top your top 100 prospects list heading into this season has been so much fun to, to look back at because so many of them have made the majors already. Um, you have Corbin Carroll. You have Gunnar Henderson, of course, who we just saw in Toronto on the weekend, um, Ellie De La Cruz getting getting a little bit of an opportunity, Jordan Walker going up and down. And then he didn't make your list because he played. He was on the roster for just a few too many days last year. But of course, Gabriel Moreno, who Jays fans know well, uh, doing a pretty good job behind the plate and hitting for contact with the Diamondbacks. I, I guess just with this rookie class overall, how impressed are you with how some of the top prospects have been able to come up and deliver in the early going here?
4: I mean, it's great. It is. We. It, I thought it was a really good list at the top last year. I thought it's the top 100 thinned out a lot. But the, you know, if you want to throw Moreno in there for purposes of the discussion, sure. Hmm. But the, the very upper levels of the list were great. And I think even a couple months in, they look even better. We've seen a couple guys. I mentioned Jackson Holiday, who's. I blown away expectations so far for a 19 year old. Destroyed low A. They move him up to high A. It's funny. I saw him one game. He was not good. It's the only game he's been bad the entire year, I think. Um, and he's got, I think, a 500 on base percentage at the level, despite being one of the youngest players there. It's really good. These guys are really, really good. And I did, like I said, I thought the list thinned out because there'd been so many promotions last year. We're going to have a huge influx from the draft this year, too. So I expect that the top 100 this upcoming offseason will probably be pretty strong top to bottom given what we've seen so far in the minors and the talent I expect to come in through the draft this summer.
0: Well, if they, all I ask is that the Orioles stop having a million prospects that they keep, <laughs> keep calling up as they're also uh, very, very good. Keith Law of The Athletic, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. I appreciate it.
4: Yep, my pleasure.
0: Keith Law of the Athletic again. His uh, first mock draft for this year's 2023 MLB draft is now up at the Athletic, and he's doing a live Q and A a little later today. It was uh, a draft last year that Keith was fairly high on for the Toronto Blue Jays, four picks early on. Uh, Not so much this year, picking at 20 and then not picking again until the 80s. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, One of the stories, of course, early on that the Jays have had a couple of struggling guys on their bench. Uh, and there were some question marks in the rotation at times, but nobody ready to go at AAA. really. We'll see what Ernie Clement has. Nathan Lucas has been getting maybe a touch more playing time of late. We'll see how all of that shakes out. If it's a day like yesterday, maybe we'll see more of Ernie Clement. If it's a day like the pitching matchup suggests it might be, Probably not. It's Shane McClanahan against Yusei Kikuchi today. That one goes at 640. Of course, sports that will have you covered. Blair and Barker, 5 to 630 uh, to lead you into that one, both on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Um, again, this is kind of the, the new schedule. We'll go with J Stock Plus. will be here 10 to 12. Blair and Barker move five to seven. Uh, Jeff Merrick and the Jeff Merrick Show are going to follow me uh, at 12 o'clock here as as we're headed toward uh, a potential long, long gap before the Stanley Cup Finals as it's, uh, it's sweep central in the NHL. The NBA avoided being sweep central yesterday. We're going to extend that out just a little bit, but it could be all baseball, all the time for a week or two here, uh, if these conference finals in both leagues play out that way. It's Yusei Kikuchi against Shane McClanahan tonight. Uh, thanks to Shai Davidi, Caitlin McGrath, Keith Law for coming on. Oh, and Neil from the from the Rays broadcast uh, as well. Thanks to Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, and Jennifer Rolnick. Behind the glass, uh, if you missed any of the show, it's in the Blue Jays Talk Podcast feed so where you also see your your pre and post game Blue Jay stuff. hot Plus returns ten to twelve tomorrow. It's a one o'clock start tomorrow. So we'll be able to tee up Alec Manoa against Zach, Afflin, Zach Eflin. Zach Efflin. And we'll of course break down everything from game three of that series. Blair and Barker five to six thirty, game at six forty tonight. Jeff Merrick Show is next on sports at five ninety and sports at three sixty.